Digital Officer Bob Howland has changed 27 enterprises. A true e-commerce veteran, he helps companies transform before they get disrupted. We asked Bob to join us on the show to talk about his latest project, Dawn Foods. If you're wondering what Dawn Foods does, here's what Bob has to say. If you've ever eaten a donut, you've experienced Dawn Foods. The company has been around for a hundred years, starting as a small bakery in 1920. Today, it's a 4,000 people enterprise selling baking ingredients in 110 countries. In 2019, they asked themselves, what do we need to do to stay in business for the next 100 years? They decided it was time to enter e-commerce. That's right. Before 2019, the only way a baker could order from Dawn was to give their order to a salesperson who came to their shop and physically took their order on a piece of paper. They knew it was time to change. That's when they hired Bob. In this episode, Bob shares the five top lessons for CDOs in leading a massive digital transformation. You're listening to People Changing Enterprises the show for status quo busters inside enterprises who are ready to make change happen. I'm your host, Jasmine Goodman, and I hope you enjoy this episode with Bob Howland. You've led 27 companies through a digital transformation. Hats off, first of all. Most recently, of course, the incredible transformation at Dawn Foods as their chief digital officer. So we've compiled the top lessons for a CDO for anyone embarking on a digital transformation. Shall we go through them? Number one is dying to know what that is, right? Everyone is scratching their respective tables right now. Number one, listen up. Don't be handcuffed by your technology, but keep in mind that Mark is not for everyone. Tell me about this one. So let me just put a caveat on the 27 companies. So I've done this inside dozen times or more. I've also been at two platform companies. So where we had several customers or clients underneath my tutelage from a contract ownership P&L perspective. So that purview gave me a real strong ability to see where, where things work and where they don't work. And the lesson I got from all of those prior experiences is really the lessons of failure. Right? All the companies that didn't do it the right way, all the companies that made bad bets, all the companies, mine included, and me included as a decision maker, that made the decision that a year later, I regret it. Dawn Foods was an amazing opportunity for me to come in and really have a complete blank canvas, no tech, no team, no nothing, complete support from the top, the board, the CEO, the executive team all wanted this complete mandate from the customer that was asking for this and had been asking for this for years. So to be able to come in and really think about when does this work? What are the attributes of the business, of the team, of the tech? What's the right way to go about this? And on the tech side, I really didn't know because everything I had done in the past, I did not want to repeat. I did not want to go to a monolith and have my hands tied. I did not want to build it internally because we had no expertise on how to do IT, digital, tech, API. That was all kind of foreign to us. And our IT team is amazing, but they're amazing at 
enterprise work such as an ERP, and we've got the great relationship with SAP, right? And so to really think about this, I thought about who are the companies that inspire me? I thought about what are the tech trends that are really inspiring me? And I thought my biggest thinking was around, I know tech, I know e-commerce, I do not know the bakery industry. And so I got to be really careful that whatever I launch, I need to think of that as the starting line, not the finish line. I need to have the program in place to really listen to what users are experiencing and where we miss the mark, because we can't think about everything at launch. I also needed the infrastructure from a team, support, resource point of view to be able to go in and make those changes quickly. Here's a fun fact. I spent more dev hours in the six weeks after launch than I spent getting to launch. Let that sink in for a minute, folks. So we knew enough to put the right framework out there, the the basic process of an end-to-end you know, ordering system, we did not know how important was the shopping list and what the shopping list need to look like. We did not know, you know, product listing page versus category listing. Where was the customer going to shop? Was the customer going to go to their last order and just resubmit that order? Or were they going to navigate and be inspired? If so, if they were going to be inspired, how do we drive the inspiration process? We literally didn't know that. And I was unwilling to play whiteboard, PowerPoint, debate, I really didn't care what we thought in the company. Let that sink in. I really cared what the customer drove us to from their behavior. And because none of us in the business had ever been in a world of e-commerce, we really had to take with a grain of salt all the feedback we were getting from the company. And so with that end in mind, you know, we really focused on best in breed, So we went out to the best CMS that we found. We went out to the best headless backend. I called it a platform at the time, and I don't think I would call it a platform today. We went to the best PIM. We really built relationships with over 12 different solution providers. We didn't just build relationships, but we built partnerships. And I think that mindset has really pervaded and prevailed across, you know, even to this day, those relationships were were learning from each other. And my teams are learning from those subject matter expertise, which really drives their resume, their subject matter expertise, and their involvement with what we're building. So this whole ecosystem, which is what I keep calling it, has really been a living, breathing, nurturing environment for the company. But from a tech point of view, that's really kind of how we got to where we got to. Oh my gosh. It's unbelievable listening to that. It is such a Herculean effort. It was a lot of fun. And because we were bound by, so I think of a triangle, I think most IT people will understand this. You have three things you can do, quality, cost, time. You generally can't do all three well. One has to be compromised. And so for me, I walked into the company knowing that quality was going to be compromised because I walked into the company knowing I didn't know the answers and I wouldn't know the answers in time to inform the launch. So I knew that we were bound by time and cost. But on the quality side, I knew that I need to have the team and process in place to do the amount of development work post-launch so we could quickly address all the feedback from the customer. We could quickly make the site better. And every two weeks to this day, we release new features. Every month, we roll them out to customers. 
And every month, the customers tell us that they see the site getting better every month. That is amazing. Do you have a structured process to collect customer feedback? We do. You do. Wonderful. Tell us more about it. So we built a voice of customer program almost out of the gate, and it's qualitative and quantitative. But I have a person who's on my team that drives that. We use Qualtrics. It's a very formalized process. We knew coming out of the gate, we put our first survey in market and knew that nine in 10 customers were likely to order again using the platform we put out, which I thought was good, not very good. And But for the industry, it was the best thing that was out there, right? But we used all their feedback time and time again to really improve the site experience. And that nine in 10 are likely to use it again. That score has been constant throughout the two-year journey. Amazing progress. Very humbling also, because you could have chosen to listen to all of the internal opinions and it wouldn't have gotten you anywhere. Choosing to actively listen to the outside world is something I think that a lot of companies struggle with. So here's a lot to learn right there in that little nugget. Let's move on to rule number two. Number two is spend way more time on change management than you expect. For me, the tech piece is easy and hiring a great team that's done these things before, working with world-class partners that have the same philosophy we do, you're going to guarantee yourself a good tech solution. And so for me, I knew the site experience was in part informed by the development, the user stories, the roadmap, all the things we controlled. I also knew that the site experience is in part informed by overall business right? What are the business processes? How does the company inject an order into the order management system? How does the company allocate product? Does the company have a customer service team, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We didn't have much of that in place when I joined. We are a hundred year old company. We've got, you know, I would say the technology that's pretty typical of a hundred year old company and a highly competitive, low margin business. We also had a sales team that really shouldn't have been called a sales team. They really should have been called an, an order-taking team because that's the job that they had been bestowed upon by the business because we had a lack of technology, a lack of automation. And again, no fault of their own, right? So Jasmine's order comes and it's not full. What does the customer do? They talk to Bob, their sales rep. What does Bob do? Bob does everything possible to find that product, whether it's in the trunk of his car, in the corner of the distribution center, and drive it to Jasmine. And that's how we worked. That is not how I want to work going forward. And to be fair, I would say that we're the leading company in the U.S. and a global leader. And so the bar, when I look at Dawn, I look at our technology, I look at our process, I look at our ability to deliver to customer, it's far superior than our competitors. And so, you know, you have to ask yourself, where was Dawn's incentive to invest or to do anything different, right? The company is growing. We have amazing customer relationships. We have a, a very family-oriented culture as a business. It's a wonderful company. It's a wonderful industry. And we are hands-down leaders. And so if anybody had come to the organization and said, well, this isn't right or that's not optimal, the company would say, we're doing fine. And they would be right. And here comes this person that thinks about the world differently and says, well, we can still be that company and we can be better. And when I say better, I mean a better revenue trajectory, 
lower costs, and improve customer experience. That's how I define better. And so I was able to come in and show demonstrably how we can move the lever on all three of those at the same time. Moving on to rule number three, know the customer deeply. (laughs) Please tell us about your 30 donuts in 60 days. Why is that one so important and what is it in the first place? I think for every company I've ever gone to, I've shown up day one, day two, day three, and then I disappeared for a week or two or three. The only way for me to learn about a company is to go talk to the customer, go talk to the frontline people, really understand where are we good, where are we not so good. And for me, that meant doing market visits. So I signed myself up and I did four market reps visits in the first month. And in doing so, I went to, there are about eight to 10 customers per day. And I should have known this from my wine tasting and tequila tasting days. You're not expected to drink everything in the glass, right? But I have a horrible sweet tooth and representing Dawn Foods and going in as the first chief digital officer, I would have thought it would have been offensive to have a baker put something in front of me that was their pride and joy and not finish it. No. So... Again, I had a lot of donuts in my first month, but it was a great experience and it really helped me understand my initial premise coming in that we didn't know the answers. And so that was really validating for me that we didn't know the answers and I really needed to push to get something in market quickly. It also really reinforced salespeople were hungry for this. The process of taking an order was not their favorite thing right? Their customer relationship was important to them. The ability to help the customer grow the business, right? The customer service reps said similar things. They were much preferred to talk to a customer that was opportunistic in what they were trying to do as opposed to a problem. And so would not the, the act of getting to an online ordering system, would not that improve some of the processes at the company that maybe were not as robust or centralized as could be? So a lot of people were really supportive of this. And giving out and doing market visits really gave me credibility with the commercial team, which was important. I think it also gave me credibility with the leadership team that I could speak to customer experiences and not just my prior companies or something else. Especially because you hadn't worked in the industry before, right? That here's street cred, if if you want to think about it that way. Right. Amazing. Let's move on to number four, which is build an MVP ASAP. We've touched on that briefly in the beginning, but I'm really curious to learn more. Why is that so important to put the proof out there or the disproof, really? Yeah, I think it's the disproof, right? So we were lulled into believing, we've done a lot of big projects in our time, and we're lulled into believing that this would be just another big project that we would probably be successful on in our own rights. And putting the MVP out there was a really easy and positive way just to show the company how wrong everybody was, right? We're not ready to do this. We don't have the data. We don't have the data structured in the right way. In some cases, we don't have the assets. We had no photography, no web-ready photography for any of our products, right? So all of the products that were on the MVP were a blank photo. All of us as human beings shop at Amazon or plenty of places, and we all know what the basic experience is. And to put our best foot forward and show the company the MVP and say, this is our best foot forward and this is where we are, 
it advanced my mission by by months, if not years, and took away a lot of what would have been difficult conversations, right? People could look at that and say, wow, we need data over there. Wow, we need pictures of our products. Wow, we need descriptions of our products. Wow, we need the pricing, et cetera, on down the line. And it really affected almost every major function in the company. And that was also very telling. So this wasn't something that, you know, quote, Bob and his team were doing over there. All of a sudden, this became about all of us. And to have that reality and recognition in day 60 in the company was amazing. I need to ask a follow-up question here because I find that mesmerizing. It could have gone, as far as my experience goes, it could have gone the other way, right? If you show up that early and your MVP basically shows that nothing's quite right, you have huge gaps in everything. You're basically not even a sweater. It's, you know, a piece of yarn. <laughs> Some people could take that as offense, right? They could sit there and say, well, is he trying to blame me that this is that we don't have a, the proper pin in place or that we have no descriptions or it's not my fault. Jillian over here should have done something about this months ago, right? So I see that happen often. How, how come that that never happened for you guys? One of the you know, the old tricks of the trade here is we need a product catalog. We need images, data, assets, facets, all the things to drive the e-commerce journey, navigation, and experience. And the marketing and category management team owned that. And there was really kind of the moment of decision here. I really wanted them to own it and just extend their work to include e-commerce. They sourced the products. They entered the products into our SAP system. They managed to maintain the product data. Why would we not just expand that, extend that to the things that were needed to enable the e-commerce experience? And oh, by the way, when we did that, the salespeople got their own product catalog, which they had never had before. They never had a product catalog with images, right? And so there's a lot of pressure all of a sudden, let's do this and do it right. And so for me, it always comes down to Helping the other team understand the lift, the effort, supporting the other team. It's not Jasmine, hey, you guys go do this. Here's all the work. It's, hey, here's all the work. Can we think of anything else? We get to the body of work needed. And then we say, okay, who's best able to go do this? Where can we all kind of roll up our sleeves and go at it? And what you find is that the other department tends to say, oh, I should do this or I can really do that. If we can be of any service, even just bringing them coffee in the morning and checking up on them during the day, that can be a series of support. But we did put weight behind it, and we did find a resource on my team that would help them in ways that were more e-commerce focused than, than core data. But the trump card for me is always, if they won't do it, whoever the they is, then the company needs to fund the group for me to do it. And the financial implications of that are horrible because this is a big lift and then becomes a slower or smaller maintenance effort going forward. If you do it by funding a team from scratch, if you do it by having the existing team expand a little bit, then it's really a matter of prioritization. What can they throw off for a little bit? You know, is this more important than some of the things they're working on? You know, how can we pull a couple people from across the organization to help in the, in the one, two, three month effort to do this? That's a different game. And then when the product catalog is built, then the idea of maintaining it is something that clearly can fit in their wheelhouse. And so that conversation, which was not linear, sometimes it was bumpy, 
I would say that I wish I had done a better job explaining how that works out of the get-go. I didn't, and that caused some consternation. But at the end of the day, the right people got on the bus, we supported each other in doing it, and we delivered what is now a world-class product catalog, which is you know maintained, you know, I think it has like a 99.9% accuracy every day. So it's a great living, breathing thing and a muscle. I keep talking about this word muscle. It's a muscle that the marketing team has built and it's a muscle that they show off a lot. They are very proud of what they've done. And to their credit, they did it. You help and you support others to make their mark. And then you're happy for them if they succeed. And it helps you more than anything else and much more than if you try to force your way or their hand, really. Moving on to rule number five, and that's our final rule, which is launch is not the finish line. It's the starting line. What's the secret about that? Yeah, I mean, technology is a living, breathing thing. And I think organizations that approach it as something that needs nurturing and love and attention and respect from the user is just so important. But I think that mindset for every major project and frankly for almost everything in my life you know i'll just on a personal note i didn't think that my wedding day was the finish line i thought my wedding day was the starting line of a beautiful you know future i had with the partner i chose let's be aware that we're not going to have all the right answers but let's also commit to building an infrastructure governance reporting the curiosity of using data and let's commit to a continuous improvement cycle that is both robust from a product point of view with the platform as the product, but it's also robust from the business point of view and really thinking about the end-to-end and all the things outside of the site itself that really inform and infuse the customer experience and the business performance. Fascinating to me because I think I love the marriage comparison because that's probably why you're still married. You didn't think of getting married as, okay, check, checked off the list, done, don't we need to do anything about it. That's just going to maintain itself. No, it won't. And the same is true for your, not just for your e-commerce experience, but probably for everything in your life. So that is really universal wisdom right there, but so, so applicable to business. Too often we build things and then we just let them sit. In all the important aspects of our life, we don't operate that way. So why would we think that big work project or especially a big technology project would be any different? A very wise person told me in a very weak moment, it takes one set of skills to get married and a whole different set of skills to stay married. And that's why I often come back to marriage analogies because I think Mm -hmm. that wise statement is just, just so true. And companies really need to be thoughtful about that. And I built a whole army and process and protocol to get to launch But before I launched, I had already built the governance, the process, the protocol to run the business. And I think those two things combined are why we've been so successful as a company and why this is a total team effort. Thanks for listening to People Changing Enterprises. We'll be back next week with a new episode helping you make your mark.